Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith. I'm Tim Cronin. And I'm John Simon. Today we're going to begin part two of preparing your expert for deposition. So what do you do when the witness starts backing off of the opinion? I think it's one of the worst things ever. You've done all of this work. You've given them everything that they need. You've gone over their opinions with them multiple times. Some witnesses will come in and say, nope, that's my opinion. This is it. I've done all the work I need to do. And other witnesses seem to want to like get along with everybody or oh, maybe I'm mischaracterizing it, but where you'll see they'll do a great job on direct. And then on cross, you'll wonder whether like their opinions are still exist or viable. And they're worried about, understandably, I don't want to seem not credible, so I'm agreeing reasonable things. You agreed with reasonable things up to the point that you testified yourself out of your opinions. Do you still hold them? So how do you fix that? What do you do? Here's a story. I was like, this was probably the first year I was working here for you, John. So 13 years ago, we had a temporary traffic control case, and we had an expert to address that. I won't say his name or the name of the case. He... We put him up for his deposition, and there were these two different, like there was a state and federal standards you can use for what's appropriate temporary traffic control to protect road workers from, say, drunk drivers or other people who are driving recklessly. And one of the one of those standards was a national standard that the state, if you looked at the right statutes in the right order, had adopted so that it could be applied for a negligence per se standard. Do you remember the case I'm talking yes, about? I do. Yeah. And it was super, super important. That standard, he say that standard applies in judging the, I mean, under the, under like the statutes for temporary traffic control. And he had expressed to us it does, and it was violated. And that's it. That was game over for the case. We had prepped him 10 minutes into the depot. A very good defense lawyer got the guy to say the standard doesn't apply. And so he's not using it in the case. And no matter how bad it looked, I immediately said, we need to take a break. And I pulled him into the other room and grabbed you and went over everything and said, sir, do you understand this is what we hired you for? And this is what you told us. You told me 10 times. It's the main thing we covered. I wanted to make sure if you didn't agree with that, I knew it. It's like they're dead in the water if it applies and got him back on his feet of, okay, I forgot that or I misunderstood. And he came back in and defended his opinions. And I took my licks from the defense lawyer who went, Okay, right before you said it didn't apply, and then Mr. Cronin asked for a break, but it's better than, like, your case just got gutted. One of the things that I think can help with that is I like having the witnesses when there's no report in the case. I don't usually ask for reports unless one's required. In in Missouri and a lot of state courts, a report is not required. But sometimes you might want to ask for a report just for that reason. Or at least to get listing in the list. And that's a later point. Yeah, here, right. And yeah. we talk about that later where the, the benefits of listing the opinions. But two things I think that can help prevent that. One is consider having the witness write out their opinions, their own opinions. And the other thing, too, is it doesn't hurt to do a little bit of a cross-examination yeah. before that deposition and question them about it and see how they perf- see how they do. And that'll help them, especially if there's key documents or testimony that supports it. You cross-examine them about that particular vulnerable issue a few times that you might be worried they could back off on. 
and they'll remember more and more of the key points that support their opinion so that they won't back And like we were talking about earlier, you need to have them support the opinion by talking about the documents that they've reviewed, the methodology that they use, the work they've done. We didn't just pull them out of their office yeah. and say, hey, what do you think about this? In cases that we handle, cases everybody handles, that expert has probably spent hundreds of hours, tens of hours, whatever it is, yeah, formulating the opinion. I think if you stress that with them, that nobody's ever told you what to say, this is your opinion, nobody's, nobody else's opinion, you're qualified to say it. And I always, again, I always point out, you, you're the expert. Like the, we're lawyers, a bunch of lawyers in that room. Nobody's an engineer, nobody's, or they're not gonna be expressing engineering opinions in the case or medical opinions. But it's again, it's something to be aware of, and be be fully prepared. If you have to, if you didn't already have an outline to do it in full, take as much of a break as you need to do it. If there's any question that your expert might have testified themselves out of an opinion they initially gave, or could be subject to a motion to exclude that opinion, I will do as long of a direct as is necessary, printing out every single document that I'm going to use on direct to support that opinion with that expert pointing out every fact supported by citing to every page and line and every depot that supports it and go through with, okay, did you see their corporate rep admitted this and this on this page and highlight it, boom, exhibit 12, and then go through the documents and say, so based on all of that information, which actually exists in the case, which you reviewed, is your opinion X, Y, and C? And to to make sure they can give it. And we're talking about all of these things that we've seen more than once, and everybody needs to remember the expert is a double-edged sword. Having an expert a lot of times is a necessary evil, in my opinion. So with certain cases, you need to have an expert to support them, product liability cases, med mal cases. You live and die with what your expert says. Your expert, can, as they say, giveth and can take it away. And so these are all things that, you, boy, you just really need to spend the time. What about presentation? Let's move on to presentation at the deposition. And I've got a little short list of 10 things that I'll run by the expert And depending on the expert who's testified 30 times or 50 times, you're not going to spend as much time with them as somebody new, but with a new expert, somebody who has maybe never done it or done it once or twice, I'll talk to them about their demeanor. And the list I go through, and I go through every one of these, number one, top of the list, it's always top of the list, tell the truth. Two, don't argue. Three, you can disagree without arguing. Exactly choose your words carefully. Number four, wait for a question. How many times have we seen witnesses, expert witnesses especially, responding to a pregnant pause? Number five, don't let them put words in your mouth. Again, let it be your answer. Number six, don't be a bobblehead witness. Yes, actually listen to the question. Think about what they're asking. Number seven, phrase the answer the way you would phrase it. Number eight, you may not agree with every aspect of the answer completely. Number nine, qualify your answer when necessary. And number 10, be nice. It's the same thing that you tell any witness, whether it's your client, whether it's an expert. How many cases, Eric, have you seen or situations where, you know, you go to take the other side's deposition, their expert, and they're qualified and they're given their opinions, but they're just like arrogant. They're an arrogant asshole, okay? And I I leave that depot thinking... Wow, this I feel a lot better about my case now <laughs> versus somebody who's genuinely trying to convince me of their position and they appear to be sincere and they're being honest and they're telling me what they base it on. And I'm finding it hard not to kind of listen to them. And maybe I'm okay. they're convincing me a little bit, but it's never going to help the expert, whether defense expert, plaintiff expert, 
it's never going to help them being a jerk. They they just being nice is always is always the way to go. I would add another thing to your list to clarify the questions. A lot of questions are not clear and answer you're answering to what you think the question is as opposed to what they are going to argue the question meant later at trial. So even if you got to do it three times, and I'll tell them you, you have a duty to make sure you know exactly what they're asking. That's a great point. And Rick. keep at point. it until yeah. you have a cord. Here's one other thing. There's experts that want to just plunge through, get through the deposition. They're dogged. They don't want to take breaks and all that. And you can see, because people cannot self-monitor very well when they're getting tired and they need to take a break, and they need to take a walk, get a drink of water, something like that to get fresh again. And you as the attorney need to sometimes jump in, and this goes not just for experts, but for all witnesses. Sometimes you just got to say, we're taking a break. And I've had it where I go down to the sidewalk and walk around the building and make sure they have water or whatever, and they come back much better, but they don't realize that they're wobbly. They don't realize they're in a haze. Great and point. You need to take care of them. Great point, especially some of these depots that go on for six, eight hours, seven hours. Yeah. So what about the situation where they're asked to assume facts that aren't in evidence? In other words, let me ask you to assume this, or let me ask you to assume that. You're not talking about if the lawyer who hired, if we asked the expert to assume facts that, which I don't think I've ever done, frankly, but if they get asked to assume yes. that. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's assume it was raining and let's know what, what do you tell them about that? What do you do in that situation? How do you prepare your expert for those types of questions? First of all, if they disagree with the factual assumption and think it's contradicted by the record, to point that out. Yeah, they got to so, know the record yeah, to begin with. They, have so to they can the confidently say, what you're saying is not and it, what the evidence And shows. if I make and an I objection understand. to foundation, there's a reason for it. So if I make an objection to foundation, it means I'm questioning whether, not to coach the expert, but like I, I don't make many objections. If I'm making an objection to foundation, I don't think the record supports what's being asked. Now, experts still have to answer hypotheticals. So I, when I cover that with experts, I make sure to clarify, as I understand your question, you're asking me if this particular fact was different, would that affect my opinion? And to clarify, I don't, I don't believe that's the case. I believe the evidence is X, Y, and Z. But if it were different, then to answer it truthfully. But to make clear, but I don't think that's relevant because that's not what the evidence is in the case. Yeah, and if it wouldn't change their opinion, point that out also. Yeah, correct. In other words, th those aren't the facts in this case. But even if that were the case, it wouldn't change my, my, my opinion in the case. Yeah, if it would change the opinion in the case, and there's just no question that those aren't the facts in the case... I don't think there's any harm in them. They have to be truthful. And like, you should be able to exclude that because it's just misleading to the jury. I've had situations quite a few times where the witness won't answer the question. You know, I'll ask them to assume facts that actually, like there's not a surprise nowadays where we have two different ideas of what we believe the facts are in the yeah. case, which in a case, facts are disputed, okay? And I've had experts that I've deposed not answer the question. Or they can say, I haven't considered that. I would need time to think about it because that is, those aren't the facts in the case. And I would need time to yeah. consider whether that would affect my opinion. It does throw the thing back on you as a lawyer to go prove those facts so that the opinion that they're prepared to give is the right one. I had a case where there was an accident reconstructionist. This is 20 years ago or so. And this is all done with a calculator. He came in with meticulous readings about how distance and time and so forth. And he was asked to assume other 
facts about the speed might have been this or that. And he pulled his calculator out. He was not an experienced expert, but he was a real smart guy. And I let him go with it. I, and he said, if you assume that to be a case, I'd have to rerun the numbers. And they said, can you rerun the numbers? And he goes, yeah, I can, but it's going to take some time. So it took 15 minutes and he left the room. He got his calculator out. He ran some numbers. He said, if that is the case, then this would be the outcome. But my understanding is that's not what happened. So he gave it. And I thought yeah. it was credible to yeah. say, yeah, sure, I'll entertain it. That's not what I understand happened in the case, though. And so I think you're right. The credibility issue, him refusing to do it, is almost like he's conceding that it would be harmful, not willing to entertain it. Yeah. So the next three things, and I think these are things that come up all the time, every expert deposition pretty much. And the idea here is you need to talk to your expert about it and, and help them deal with it. And one is your prior relationship with the expert. Another one is the prior litigation experience. You got an expert who's testified 50 times or 100 times. And then and the third one is compensation. Let me give you an example, Eric and Tim. You got an expert who's done a terrific job, very well qualified, knows the case in and out, great communicator, can relate well to people and explain things to the jury. Uh, and you've used them 12 times. They've uh, testified as an expert 300 times. And uh, you've paid them $48,000 in the case. Yeah. Okay, what do you do? I don't think you can be defensive about it. I think you just have to uh, own it. At trial and direct, I cover all of those things with some extra color. And it helps if they've already been prepared to do so, to fill in details that put that into perspective. They're entitled to be compensated for their time. And their understanding is that the opponent's expert is also going to be compensated for their time. And they're taking time away from their regular job or whatever else. As far as prior relationship with us, for example, if we've used them 12 times and 10 of those cases have settled and two of them went to trial and we won both of those and the jury agreed with them, I make sure he remembers those yes, statistics. Sure. Yeah, they're a good, reputable firm. I like working with them. They've actually retained me 30 times and I rejected 18 of those. Yeah, that, that's a really good yeah. point where in med mal cases you have to. You got to have an expert look yeah. at it before you file it. And uh, we're very selective about our cases. And even though we're selective, we do get cases where experts who we know and trust say, eh, no, not on this one, and we don't pursue it. And that's a that's a great thing, prior relationship. Prior gives litigation. Gives credibility and us yeah. credibility. And, and prior litigation experience, that kind of can be can be looked at two different ways. You can look at it as, well, somebody who spends most of their time testifying and helping lawyers. But if somebody wasn't a good expert and qualified, no, they wouldn't have a, a yeah. experience. So every single time I've been retained by the Simon Law Firm or any time I've been retained and given a deposition, I was found qualified to give opinions by the court. And then the compensation issue, that's another thing, too, where I, I don't think people are as shocked about big numbers now as nowadays as they were, you know, 10 years ago. They're used to it. Obviously, it can get to it can get to a point where there's it's so high that it, it overwhelms everything else. But the bottom line is don't be defensive about it. If you're asked, did you build this and this? The answer is yes. Did you spend this amount of hours or time? Yes, I did. I, you got to have them prepared to talk about the amount of time that they spent. If their bill's big in the case, what did they do? Did they have three different inspections and they traveled to look at things or they yeah. researched things? I wasn't. I needed to make sure I was thorough and I looked and researched everything possible to be able to give my opinion. And there's so many materials, that means it was a lot of my time. It is a, an argument that defendants pursue, and I think it's because they think it's effective, and the facts are what they are. But I'm, I would like to ask both of you, how, how do you deal, if you do, on, say, closing argument, 
with the fact that you hired an expert 12 times and they made a big deal about it and it's, it's this pipeline and you just keep going to this guy and you keep getting good opinions and you keep paying him a lot of money. Do you touch it on closing or you just ignore it or what? I don't, I generally don't. Unless I think they're, hopefully I've handled it well enough with their direct that they, it, it's not a big deal. And if they want to make a big deal about it, sometimes I'll even bring it up at opening and it, or if I need to enclose, I'll just be very frank. Yeah, of course, I have an expert that supports my client's case. And of course, they have experts that support their client's case. That's how this works. And inevitably, it's increasingly so in my experience, the defense is overwhelmingly like getting two to three times the number of experts. So that's a dangerous road, I think, for defendants to go down. Because if we want to add up numbers almost every single time, I'll go, they're here saying to give my client no money or X amount of money, and they've paid 12 experts a million dollars to come here and try to convince you to do that. I can't bring my case without an expert under the law, and I have to pay him for his time. I don't mention it in close. If it really didn't hurt you, no need to mention it. And if it did hurt you, don't highlight it. <laughs> so I would say never. Just let it go. It seems like if you hired one expert and paid their one expert, it seems like the whole issue is dead. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of their complaint. But just, again, I don't think, I think jurors get past that pretty quick. And uh, they, they decided on whether or not the person's credible in terms of how they present. So let's talk next about expert witness reports. We talked about that, touched on that a little earlier. W what do you think? If you're not, obviously, if you're required to give a report or prepare a report, you need to do that. Federal court, you need to do it. And but if you're in that situation, the other side doesn't get draft reports. They don't get to ask about any conversations you had with the experts. So it just is what it is. They have the report. I typically don't ask for reports when they're not required. And sometimes your expert will take some hits about you didn't re prepare a report. Did, uh, did the attorney tell you that not to? Did they instruct you not to prepare a report? You got to prepare them for that, too. No need to be defensive. I did not prepare a report because I was not asked to, period. Had my I been asked to prepare a report, I would have prepared it. My understanding in Missouri is that a report is not required and you give your opinions in a deposition. So that's, yes. that was right. my understanding and that's what I was asked to do. End of discussion. John, what's your thought about why you would not have an expert prepare a report? It also unnecessarily drives up the cost. The cost. be cross-examined right. about their compensation. Right. The, the, the cost. They're going to have to give a demo anyway, yep. usually. Like, for instance... If it's subject matter is a big deal, like if it's a report from an economist, like an opinion from an economist, if it's a life care plan, things like that, that you're inherently gonna have you have to have a report by the nature of the topic, you're going to have a report. But some of the stuff where, you know, whether the doctor was at fault or not, whether a machine is defective or not, I think at the deposition, they can cover it. And like Tim says, it's, it adds an unnecessary time and expense. We talked about this a little bit earlier, too. The next topic is considering listing the expert's opinion in bullet points. And I, th this, I have found this so helpful. Not full opinions, just topics, just general topics. And what I'll do before the deposition, and I do this right before, after all of the prep is done, I will sit with the expert maybe in an hour or 30 minutes or so before. I will never tell him to do it. I would say, look, one of the things that might help you stay organized and also help the deposition go more smoothly, it really is a benefit to the attorney asking you questions, to give them some general idea of what your opinions are. And I ask that in the beginning of every expert's deposition. I'll start out maybe with some background or qualifications, but at some point before I get into the depots, the, the opinions, I'll say, let's very broad strokes, 10,000 foot view, 
what are the different topics you're going to give opinions on. And so I tell them it's something that you might want to consider. I would, I would recommend that you do it if you want to. Some experts, if it's something, if it's something where they're saying two things or they got a single opinion, maybe not. But I make sure that it's their decision and I make sure they write down their opinions. In their handwriting, I get a notepad and pull a notepad out and write them down. And then I'll cover, yeah, when you're talking about making sure you understand what they are, have them explain them, repeat them back to them as you understand them to be saying them. And then write them down. And then ask them if they are if they would like to write them down. A lot of yep. times, if it's a lot of them, then I su- strongly suggest it's going to be helpful to you, me, and the opposing lawyer if you write these down. Yeah. What I do is I'll have them talk through the opinions with me. And obviously, if they can't name their opinions, if they can't tell me them, that's a problem. (laughs) But And I'll say, okay, is that how you would phrase that? Okay, write it down. And so it's their opinion. They're writing it down. And that way you eliminate any drafts. It helps organize the flow of the deposition. You make sure all of the opinions are going to be covered or stated. And what I tell them is the most important thing is it will save time and make the job easier for the other lawyer. I tell them that. And it's the truth. It will save time in the deposition and make the other lawyer's job easier. And when they're asked in the deposition, why did you write these down, which they are, yeah. when they say, I thought it would make your job easier and shorten the deposition, you don't get any argument from that. That's no. right. I'm a big believer in bullet points, not only for expert witnesses, but in consumer cases to have the witness come in with a sheet of paper that has key dates on it, the dates of conversations with the merchant, for instance, and have it in front of you, things that are not disputed. And if someone asks, what are you looking at? And I've had this several times. Oh, these are things I wrote down because I wanted to get them accurate and make sure I don't. Okay, may I see that? Sure, here you go. And it's nothing at all troublesome for my case. It, it I don't want anything to be a memory contest, frankly. I don't want people worrying about, I got to remember this, got to remember that. And, uh, we're back to the checklist. If pilots and planes have checklists, that's what these bullet points are. It's my checklist. I don't have to remember there's six points. It's, who was that? Perry, the, the candidate, said there's three reasons why yeah. energy, and he forgot the third one. An agency. It was a government, why? He, he was going to eliminate three government agencies, and he couldn't remember the name of one of them. So why ever have that? Why ever do that? Why not just have your points there? Yeah. And then now you can be free not to free, explore each one theory problems. I've had uh, opposing lawyers do this, and I do it sometimes. If I, right when I meet the expert or I do, if I've dealt with them before, if I think I can throw them off and make them uncomfortable before they've had time to get comfortable in the depot, sometimes I'll go in and say, what's your name? Okay, what's your specialty? I have your disclosure here. Can you please tell me all your opinions? And if they don't have them written out, it's human nature. They might forget one. And if it's one I think I, I can tell that lawyer wants them to give and is intending and going to do a direct with them to give, I will, throughout the rest of that depot, I'll have that expert say 15 times, those are your only opinions. I'm not going to find out when the other lawyer questions you. This is my opportunity to question you before they get to ask you to talk. And I don't want that to happen to my expert. It's an unnecessary wound. Yeah. Right? No, it's Because then you got to fix it. Entirely and, preventable. And then they can make a big deal about it at trial, right? So, so if you can prevent that, do it. So when do you ask, so you, you prepared your expert. You've gone through all of this. They sit for the deposition, and four hours later, questioning is done. When do you question your expert, e- either of you? you when mean, do you you mean in preparing them or to do it in the right? deposition? In the deposition, when do you do when the questioning is completed by the other lawyer? 
when do you do a, a direct or cross or whatever you want to call it? When do you actually ask, under what instances or situations do you consider asking your own expert questions at their at their deposition? If, first of all, if I don't think they got all of their opinions out, if they didn't do bullet points, or even if they did, and they didn't explain one to the full extent that they had explained it to me previously, I'll clarify any particular opinion or issue. If, if there's any kind of problem that was created by the questioning where they backed off an opinion, I will go back and cover that. I try not to go back and, and go over all of the opinions again, but if they missed something or they equivocated on an opinion or two, I certainly go back and make sure the basis for those opinions has been disclosed and exactly what their opinion is has been disclosed so you don't have to worry at trial about whether they can say it or so, Tim, I agree, agreed with you up until about five years ago. Okay. And what I do in expert depositions now is I don't care how well or not they said that. You do it opinion, direct with all the I opinions. do a direct mm -hmm. with the list of the opinions at the end. The reason I do that, I do a direct at the end and say, and these are your opinions, and I list them out. The reason I do that is how many times have in trial in the middle of a direct examination, you get called up to the sidebar, and it's, Your Honor, this is a new opinion. Then you and you're find flipping it. through a 300-page yeah. deposition of inartfully asked yeah. questions about what, and the judges, what do you want me to do, read the deposition? And so I like having it all on one page in one place. I, all I need to do is say, Your Honor, it's on page 347 of the deposition, lines 4 through 22. But mm. it, if all of them were thoroughly disclosed and they didn't back off of them in an exhibit that was marked where they listed their opinions in bullet points, then I don't do that. Yeah, and and usually that's yeah. what I do. Now, I may say, here's exhibit one that was marked. If they didn't clarify already all of your opinions about standard of care. It takes five minutes. I know. And it lays it out. I used got to it. do that a lot more. But if there's that exhibit, I may go, these are all your opinions. You hold them to a reasonable degree of medical certainty. When you say standard of care, you mean X, Y, and Z. But yeah, that does, you don't want to be flipping through a 300 page deposition. I, I agree with you. If it's been done clearly, then there's no need to do it again. But some, the deposition up to your own direct is kind of bludgeoned and yeah. hacked up. How often is it that clear? Yeah. So I was like, and you're like you say, John, if you say, no, I want to summarize your opinions, but because, and you, like you say, it might take five minutes. Also, I, I really do worry about planes get canceled, people get sick, yes. they might die and all that. So yeah. why not have, have the direct, your, have your direct in a nice yeah. flowing way? I, you know, you don't out. need to read it. It's just there for you if you want it. I would lean toward doing a very brief, simple direct, outlining the witnesses, the opinions, and confirming that they're based upon a reasonable degree of engineering certainty or medical certainty. So and, you have that record. And if that wasn't said in the depot, you better damn make sure that you clarify at the end of the depot that all opinions were given within a reasonable degree of either medical certainty or certainty within their field. Finally, you need to reserve the right to supplement. On the record, make sure the witness reserves the right to supplement. This will include reviewing you know, any additional depositions, especially transcripts of the defense experts. I always make sure that is clear on the record at the time of the deposition so that there's no question later you know, that they can they have the opportunity to comment on that. Uh, so how about read and review or waive your signature? What are your opinions on that for an expert? I'll always have them read. Yeah, the expert, I leave it to the expert. I leave it up to them. You can When you say, I want to go read, that means that you have the option of they get the transcript and yeah. they don't respond in time, so it's deemed that they've agreed. So I always say read, and then they can or cannot. I leave it to the expert, but when it's a client, I always waive because I've had situations where, you know, just because they reviewed it for an hour or two hours or whatever, 
doesn't mean they're going to remember it. And then if they don't remember something at trial, then in addition to saying you gave a depot, but you also took it home with you and you're right. You ready. didn't make any change. I changed <laughs> The only reason I'm saying that, occasionally you get a court reporter that doesn't, it misses a word or two. I just, I worry about that. Doesn't have so, so what I'd like to do, because we started with numbers and we ended up just flowing through, I'm just going to run through at the end. Again, I'm going to do my brief direct Good. of the summary of what we covered. Topic was preparing your expert for deposition. And the topics we covered were, one, identify the parties and their lawyers. Two, discuss general theories of liability and defenses with your expert. Three, prepare a list of materials that you've provided to your expert. Four, provide copies of the witness-generated materials to the other side in advance of the deposition. Five, make sure you explain the standard of care for expert qualifications to your expert. Six, go over the relevant legal standards. Definition of standard of care, medical reasonable degree of medical certainty. Number seven, rem- document key dates of your interactions with your act when they're first contacted. Date materials were received when they formed their opinions. Eight, confirm your expert's opinions are final. Nine, confirm the witness's opinions are their own. Ten, make sure they're ready to defend those opinions at their deposition. Eleven, how to present at the deposition. Tell the truth. Be nice. Don't argue. Twelve, how to handle being asked to assume facts that aren't in evidence. Thirteen, how to handle prior relationship you've had with the expert. Fourteen, how to handle prior litigation experience. Fifteen, how to handle how much they're getting paid. And the answer to all three of those are don't be defensive. It is what it is. Sixteen, whether or not to have an expert witness report. Seventeen, consider listing your expert's opinions in bullet points. Eighteen, when to do a brief direct examination of your own expert. And then finally, nineteen, always always think about reserving the right to supplement your expert's opinions. All right. So that ends part two of our two-part series on preparing your expert for deposition. Hope you enjoyed this. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Feith. I'm Tim Cronin. I'm John Simon, and we'll see you next time. The Jury Is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. At The Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.